Okay, so let's kick it off. So I am David. I am co-host of the 12 Inquiries podcast. I am a novice Twitter Spaces host, and I hope to upgrade to intermediate by the end of this hour. Marsha. Yeah, I'm Marsha. I am now a clinical psychologist in training, um, and I have lots of thoughts about masculinity. So happy to chat. My name is Misha Byrick. I'm a men's integrity and accountability coach based in Oakland, California, and my company is www.evolve.men. Hey, I'm Raz Artisher. I, uh, I teach high school history, or humanities rather, uh, it's my fifth year as an educator in Oakland. I'm super interested in a lot of these topics about vulnerability, masculinity, friendship. Thank you, everyone. I am Luis Sosa, co-host. And it feels like we're of a unique generation. Um, and I don't mean that in terms of, of when we were born, just being alive at this particular period where there's an openness to discuss these things to me is fascinating because we can level up. I'm a, I'm a big geek. I'm a gamer. And for me, it's like the ultimate RPG where I, I really do feel like there's an opportunity to be a better version of myself for me. And I love having those conversations. This inquiry and the podcast in general is about that, about the, the way that great conversations and, and d d taking deep dives can enrich myself and my friendship with David and hopefully uh, our guests and anyone who happens to pop on to listen. So thank you so much. David, you want to get us started? Great. We'll do. So we're going to divide this into three different segments. Segment one is going to be about sex and relationships to start at Sizzling. Uh, section two, I think Luis is then going to take over to talk about friendships, loneliness, mental health, other issues in that realm. And then we're going to end on conflict, the flight or fight response, um, apologies and repair, and then we'll let the conversation go organically from there. I feel that over the past five to 10 years, we've gone through a bit of a societal reckoning around gender and sex. And I sense some real optimism five years ago. I felt optimistic that women mm. deserved to be treated better in sex, but also in relationships with men more generally. And that a lot of men, including myself, started to look back and reckon with our own approach to sex sexuality and relationships with women. So around that same time, Misha, you became a coach for men wanting to mm -hmm. be better men. I'm curious, do you, do you relate to that sense of optimism that I felt five years ago? And where do you feel like we are today? Hmm. Thank you so much for that question. I love it. Um, and I love to think, think about this stuff in broad historical contexts. I think we're at a relatively still early stage of actually reckoning with the realities of gendered harm. And I don't even want to say optimistic because from where I sit, working with men in groups and in courses and workshops and one-on-one -on -one as clients and dealing with all kinds of harm that men still do in radically, radically gendered ways, I, I just think that we've only come to the very point where we're actually starting to comprehend the enormity of patriarchal harm, not ending it. I'm curious about the, the, the second part of David's question, the idea of, of kind of optimism and hope. Uh, <laughs> I have to be somewhat optimistic to do what I'm doing, but I don't think the sea change has yet occurred. Uh, I'll just give you an example. When I tell people what I do, and they're someone that, and they identify as a man, they're like, that's really important work for other men. Yeah. And when I tell <laughs> them what I do and they're a woman, they're like, every man I know needs that. Mm -hmm. 
Marcia, dive in. What is a woman's perspective on this? I'm curious for your reaction. Oh my gosh. It's so, it's so real. I mean, if we were on video, you would see me just nodding to everything. I kind of feel like we're at a bit of an inflection point. Like, women are now so myself included unwilling to settle for less than all of the things that we were forced to become in our own upbringings which is being emotionally available you know being able to name your feelings and communicate them i sent around an article to the group that was in psychology today about um i think it's called the the rise of single lonely men and part of it is just about how women aren't going to date down anymore. And I think we really do a disservice in the way that we have raised men. And now they're just starting to figure out that they have to do something a little bit differently because it's not going to work the same. And women don't have the same reasons to partner anymore. You know, we're more able to be alone if that's easier, as I think it is in many cases. Mm-hmm. Marcia, yeah. did you look back... In, in time and be like, why did I put put up with this bullshit? Like, what, was, there a, was there a societal <laughs> change that led to a personal change for you? I started doing therapy when I was 27. And I think through that process, you know, you're able to really identify some of the patterns that you create in your own relationships. And it was there that I saw, you know, I was repeating a lot of patterns that my mom and my dad had and my mom in my family my mom did everything my dad worked and when he came home from work he wanted to have a drink and watch tv and he didn't want to be bothered but my mom you know made all of our doctor's appointments I don't think my dad could have even said who my doctor was as a child um (laughs) like I'm sure he would forget my birthday you know I think I just started learning about that I love to talk about culture and like how people are and why they are the way they are. Um, And then I started reading things like Bell Hooks has some really beautiful work Mm -hmm. on masculinity and what it's like to be a man. And um, it's just been a constant evolution and education. And I think I'm fortunate in that I'm interested in that, but a lot of people are not interested in it. So I don't know how they're going to come to it, but they need to meet Nisha. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Marcia for bringing up Bell Hooks. Cause like, yeah, I, I, uh, came to all about love maybe a couple years ago and there's like a chapter about masculinity that I think it just was like holy shit I've never Mm -hmm. thought about Mm -hmm. this about how you grow up as a young boy and the first person you start lying to is your mom and I guess going to Misha's point about you know how do we even begin this reckoning feels like we're asking men to do all this stuff when we haven't even really scrape the who taught you how to be a man in this society and trying to make that a starting point i think the complexity in thinking about some of these things is you know these really heteronormative very masculine men and then asking them oh can you be vulnerable and be emotional and you know do you know go to therapy do this work And it's like, well, can you do both? Can you be a guy who watches sports and likes the Warriors? And can you cry to your girlfriend or can you cry to your friend? You know, Marsha brought up growing up and her dad. I mean, I didn't see my dad cry until my grandmother's funeral, which was just like five years ago. And it was, 
it was just because Frank Sinatra came on and I think it just like it just like the moment for him was too much to contain before that it was like growing up in a household where you're waiting for your dad to come home and you don't know what kind of mood he's gonna be in Mm -hmm. and it's just sort of like silently repressing all the feelings you know the anger Mm -hmm. the sadness and it's just like you don't know what's going on so the mention of Sinatra made me realize just how many excuses we as men need to cry (laughs) I remember the first time I watched the movie Rudy it's a football movie and it was sort of this barometer where like if if you're a dude this is the movie that it's okay for you to cry a, you're allowed you're it's totally allowed to cry. <laughs> right and top so, 10 so, top 10 movies so, to cry in exactly and so like the, the fact that we would need these excuses uh to cry and to be emotionally available and to connect because it's like no 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 i'm crying because the movie is making me sad right mm-hmm. or because sinatra and in mexico there's a whole subculture around like the music of Juan Gabriel or Jose Jose and these like very emotionally wrought ballads of very broken men who feel things intensely. And, and then it's okay. You're drinking, you're listening mm-hmm. to this music and you can cry in this context, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It actually, it reminds me of what, what you brought up earlier about optimism, David. I got to say, I mean, crying is just a tiny sliver of what it actually means to be em- emotionally available and it's such a blunt instrument i I think you know the conversation is often about men like well if he can cry i mean like you know that's saying something it's saying so little i mean Mm -hmm. honestly i'd like i'm curious for all three of you to respond to this and then uh we'll we'll move on to friendships and mental health which i think we're already kind of getting there so there was a bit of a there was a bit of a reckoning work in progress, like you said, Misha, like we're just the very very beginning of this. But we need some baby steps to head in the right direction, right? Mm. And then came the pandemic and isolation. And as if mm-hmm. dating wasn't weird enough before the pandemic, it got to be a lot weirder. I know that you've written a little bit about loneliness and sexuality in the pandemic. As we're coming out of it now and we're starting to get back into dating and seeing each other in person, what are some of those baby steps that men can take? Mm-hmm. so that our masculinity doesn't get in the way of having good sex ourselves, good relationships, and women who are satisfied. I love that question. So the thing to do to approach dating is to prioritize your own integrity over anything else, including doing what you think you're supposed to do or doing what you think she wants you to do. Uh, prioritizing your integrity means actually having a set of values and standards of behavior of how you show up that are more important to you than saying whatever you need to say in order to get laid or telling a woman what you think she wants to hear in order to get a second date or lying to a woman a little bit about your background to get in there. It's also really important to be in uh, in integrity so that you're not in a resentful friend zone relationship. I second that. You know, I wrote down to communicate and be honest and that ties back to what Misha was saying when a guy is embellishing something or you know saying what he thinks I want to hear it's so transparent to me I would much rather you just be a hundred percent authentic even if even if it may not be like the coolest thing to say like you don't have to tell me you're working on buying a house if if you just want to buy a house in six months, you know, it's just a different way to present information that feels more authentic. Um, and I would say, like, come in with a plan. I can't speak for all women, but I never want to get a message on a dating app that's like, 
do you want to hang out or what are you doing this weekend or anything vague? Like if you want to meet up, be direct and clear about it and propose an activity. How's Mm -hmm. coffee on Saturday morning at 10 a.m.? I'm happy to come to your neighborhood. Like Mm -hmm. it's so simple and gets to the point and then you don't have to waste all this time kind of going back and forth or being wishy-washy about things. I think being honest, especially with yourself, and I I know we're going to get to this later with regards to friendships, but when I first started going to therapy in 2017 as a 37-year-old man, it took me a while to really want to do the examination myself. And so I think that maybe gets into having a good self-care routine that you really care about yourself and that you're not engaging in you know, traditional masculinity ways of outlets and venting. I want to pick up there because it brings me back to this idea. And it's what I want to kick off the section on friendship, loneliness and mental health, which is our role models. I was rewatching an old James Bond movie and they're grotesque. They're just they're they're so grotesque. It's like it feels like a parallel universe. And yet. The messaging around it was really, really clear. This is what it is to be a guy, you know? And I had a conversation with a young friend of mine, and she was telling me how a lot of guy friends her age are kind of just paralyzed. Like, they don't want to step in the wrong direction, so they're just not doing anything, right? Yeah. They're just not moving forward. It's so true. I don't know if any of you watched the Woodstock 99 docuseries. But they talk a lot about kind of 90s masculinity in it because there is like the crowd was so wild and like, you know, kind of assaulting all of the young women who were there. Like many, many women were raped at the festival. Any woman who crowd surfed was sexually assaulted. And they kind of talk about. Um, how the lineup of those like, you know, Limp Biscuit and Corn and all of these type of like rock music guys kind of encouraged it almost, not explicitly, but just kind of in the fuck it, do whatever you want mentality. So that was totally see that. Yeah, super interesting. It sounds like this really distorted idea of like, oh, yeah, the last one was about free love. Yes. They talk about that. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's that's also really typical, right? Even if it's not intentional, right? One of the biggest themes that I've seen is that we have, in many cases, intellectually gotten past sexism. Like, no, women are equal. Got it. You know? But that will betray all kinds of really harmful things that we'll still do. I think you're right, of course, that, that we don't have a lot of men, certainly not in our political field, for instance, speaking about what it really is to be a man in integrity. Yeah, I just thinking about it, how it relates to role models, like, I think all of this behavior that we're talking about as kind of optimal behavior, and, you know, being able to identify your feelings and being more in touch and mindful of how you impact others, that sort of thing. I think all of that is learned behavior. So without role models who are doing that, I don't know that it will be an Mm -hmm. easy process. I want to put a a phrase on the table from an actor, writer that I do admire. And I'm just hoping that he doesn't do anything to mess that up because that that tends to happen. I think I found like, hey, this guy's a role model. And two weeks later, it's like, and he did this horrendous, grotesque thing. Um, But Ethan Hawke wrote a book years ago called The Hottest State. 
And in it, there's a scene between the main character who's in his mid-20s and his mom. And the mom gives him a piece of advice, which I always found, uh, it resonated. And it also, I found it tremendously uh, conflicting. And she told him, son, your whole life, people are going to ask you to be vulnerable, to be soft, to be open. But all that anybody really wants from a man is for him to be strong. What does strength mean for you guys? And I place the question to the three of you. Oh, man. I was kind of thinking about this before we started, because I do feel like there are these masculine traits, and then there are these, quote, toxic masculine traits. And I think sometimes things get lost in the shuffle. Like, I think being strong is a masculine trait. I think it's a positive trait. When I think of that, I think about how I would have wanted the men in my life to be strong for me. And what that would have looked like is like more stepping up, you know, more functioning. And this is my personal experience. You know, I don't think it's like this for everybody, but I have had to be highly functioning or over-functioning because, you know, the men in my life have not functioned at all. (laughs) So Mm. if anything is going to get done, it's because I'm going to get it done. And I would say that's particularly true just like of my dad. He didn't really like learn to do much. And then also in my relationships too. I think it looks like stepping up to the plate and contributing when it comes to decisions and being able to say what it is that you want. I've dated a a lot of guys who just said what they think I wanted to hear. And maybe that's because they didn't have a clear idea of what they did want, which is, you know, I'm not trying to be super negative about that, but, um, yeah, I think it, it just looks like stepping up to the plate a little bit and participating in your own life. Femininity is an energy to play in, right? And I think the same is true for masculinity. If we're going to assign certain traits to these archetypal words, I think that it's really important to allow men the full range of expression and to also recognize that masculine traits are something that it might be delightful to play within. I want to hold that a little lighter than getting to all men should be strong. I love that idea. Revaz, what do you think, bud? Yeah, it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good one. And, you know, I mean, I, thinking back on the last dance, you, you see that, like, wow, Michael Jordan's amazing. And, like, damn, he was a huge dick. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, damn, is that what we want people aspiring to? Yeah. So one of the things that came to mind is how I feel like the default for, for men is not really knowing how to listen. And, mm. and that, and from there, a whole bunch of stuff sort of ripples outwards. So that openness and that curiosity from a place of authenticity, a capacity to really listen is super important. And I think it ties into this idea of men and our mental health. And going back to that Don Draper reference, it's this idea of you don't deal with it, you bury it. Mm. You drown it in booze or or drugs or or destructive behavior because that's what you do, you know? And I wonder what you guys think about that before we, we move the mm. conversation on. Do you have to do a lot of damage to yourself, hopefully, so that you're not hurting other people, but also inadvertently sometimes to other people before you can start Mm. evolving? I hope that's not the case forever. But if you're an adult coming to this work, probably. 
But I Mm -hmm. would hope that, you know, with people like Ravaz who are teaching and with Misha working with men that hopefully, and, you know, me being mindful of that, hopefully the way that I'm able to raise men, should I be so lucky to have a boy is to, is to, to build this in from the beginning. So they don't have Mm -hmm. to go back and unlearn it all later. That would be my hope. We can't ignore that we had a pretty toxically masculine president for a long time, you know, and that he's still the person that's elevated, you know, like, uh, you know, like, so true that we can't, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's unfortunately too much of a conceit to think that we can raise people without being influenced by their society. I mean, if you all have children in your lives, you know, that like the, the second they go to preschool, they get which colors go to which, you know, boys or girls, you know, like, we're, yeah. we're deeply, deeply influenced by our societal messaging. And so long as we don't have a culture of accountability or consequences or one which values people who like honor their word, then we're, we're only going to be able to do so much without a lot of like individual growth and evolution on a one by one basis. So well said. Before we go to conflict and apologies, I think that Jose yes, Manuel can you hear me? has something. Oh, yeah, okay. we can. Go Fantastic. Ahead. Well, um, <laughs> First of all, I, I'm a journalist. I'm preparing a TV show, you know, live tonight. And suddenly I was checking Twitter. And I don't know why this topic popped up in my, you know, on my feed. And it's one of my favorite issues. I'm a gay man coming from Chile. So one of the things that I've learned, and especially in a trip with ayahuasca, you know, is like I need that my masculinity has to be restored. How in a gay man that was raised in a very conservative country, you know, who was born in 1973, who, you know, who suffered bullying, who's trying to have healthy relationships with partners, you know, can get this done, can restore this masculinity. If it's okay with you, Jose Manuel, I want to bookmark that question so that we save it for for the end, because I think that's really the culminating question of all of this. So if it's okay, let's let's. Hold that thought for five minutes. I want to talk about confrontation. And a friend of mine talked about the difficulty of being a parent to two young boys and not feeling confident as a 40-something man. But teach, what do you do when you experience that fight or flight feeling? When you feel like maybe you need to fight somebody or you feel that impulse for conflict. And, you know, his, his comment really stayed with me about that uncertainty when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock and then mm-hmm. was applauded by everyone, right? As like being the protector. I was also reminded of when Kanye West took the microphone from Taylor Swift, Swift mm-hmm. kind of like intervening on behalf of Beyonce somehow. And, and that was seen as a good thing by a lot of people. You know, there's this, there's this idea of the male is the protector and the male is engaging mm-hmm. in confrontation. I'm curious for your reactions and, and what we can do to help each other evolve this relationship between confrontation and masculinity yeah i'm thinking about it in the context of my own relationships my immediate reaction to that is like i don't want to have to have a protector you know i would much rather like live in a place where i don't have to worry about being attacked for one and for two that i would be able to handle that myself um there's a lot of both both biological and like deeply relevant societal reasons that the protector role has evolved and it's really only in the last 
100 or 200 years. And, you know, there's a there's a big socioeconomic thing in which women don't need protection, <laughs> uh, both both racial and geographic and national that affects the degree to which we all need to be protected from one another in a, you know, in a pretty savage world. So with all of that said, um, in in a society that like it's not actually necessary to to be protective, where like a behavior like Will Smith doesn't come across as protective, but rather as childish, I think it's actually really possible to evolve um, a version of manhood that steps into masculine roles at appropriate moments and in healthy ways. Mm-hmm. Right. So that might mean when you're when your wife is actually having a breakdown that you're able to hold a deeply masculine reassuring presence for her. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's actually a very strong, beautiful, masculine thing to do. So there's, there's a lot of beauty in even the protector role. If, if engaged with in a healthy way, going back to that psych today uh, article, I think there was something about how, you know, actually women do want men to still be the breadwinner but they also want them to have all these emotion, like emotionally vulnerable mm-hmm. qualities. And so, you know, it's just, it just feels like a really complex time in society where there's so many things we're trying to figure out and we're, we're evolving really fast. And so, I mean, that, that gives me a little bit of sympathy towards the male gender, just that they're like, what do people want from me right now in this, in this society? This is something that, Luis and I have gone back and forth on quite a bit. I imagine that Misha would too. Is just like how how much sympathy to have for men who grew up with traditional masculinity norms and have really embraced that identity and now find themselves in a different world where, mm. in many cases, they're at a disadvantage, not having the emotional intelligence that's needed for some of the best-paying jobs, not being able to have the status, not having the college education. It's not just like, oh, you know, society's progressing and men have been left behind. It's actually we live in a toxically patriarchal society in which both men and women and people of other genders replicate toxic patterns and we're all swimming in the same soup truly you know and at the same time misha you brought up uh intersectionality and i'd like to close on that i think that really gets to uh what jose manuel brought up in in his thought-provoking comment i have been especially guilty in this conversation of really centering it on the heterosexual male experience of masculinity but masculinity as a shared approach to gender mm-hmm. is very intersectional. It takes different shapes, right? Depending on your race, depending on what you look like, depending on where in the country or the world you live, depending on if you're straight or gay. And so I'm just curious for your, you know, do you have any closing thoughts on what is a positive aspirational masculinity that someone like Jose Manuel, someone like myself, that, that someone who's maybe, you know, a Republican in the middle of the country can mm. all aspire to? Yeah, absolutely. I think awareness of your own power, a willingness to change and a willingness to own your own mistakes. Just just go for that. Yeah, I think I'm just thinking about Misha's comment about compassion. And I think that there is this kind of feeling going on um, in the culture right now. I know I have experienced it with a lot of my own female friends who identify as feminist and, you know, there's a lot of kind of anger towards men 
And on the other side, there's a lot of men being like, oh, well, it's a terrible time to be a white man in our country and really playing this kind of victim role in the the whole dynamic. It is helpful for me to remember that men who were raised with this idea of what it is to be masculine really have suffered a loss of like a complete self. And I think that keeping that in mind makes the compassion easier and like the the willingness to teach and understand a little bit easier and to continue working towards like a more equal culture in that way yeah i do i do want to give some some credit you know that we're doing better than the previous generations that i think even coming coming to investigate yourself at 37 or 40 or whatever is better than doing it at 55 or 65. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's also like- so many beautiful opportunities now. Like I cannot tell you the number of really beautiful uh, men's group organizations, uh, opportunities for free and reduced cost therapy for men, um, really, really beautiful organizations that are working in um, low income neighborhoods like Men Can Stop Rape, the work of mm. Jackson Katz, the work of the Mankind Project, Illuman, Sacred Sons, every man i mean this is a huge international movement of to bring about healthy masculinity in men mm-hmm. and it is entirely possible and quite affordable to participate in it. i love that Com- completely i want to sh- there's a great organization here in mexico called uh from from machos to men the machos a hombres that mm-hmm. works works to do that and they have some really great content on social media uh, Mexico is a is a just grotesquely machista country, so there's a lot of work to do. But these guys are really uh, doing it hands on. So I just want to thank all of you. I think this conversation for me, just the willingness to to have this conversation, to to put it out there in public, to not be embarrassed, which I think is as guys we often can be, to acknowledge self-doubt or insecurity or or the fact that if you're better now it meant that there was something wrong before mm. so I'm, yes. I'm deeply grateful for your participation marcia thank you for being here uh, jose manuel the additional perspectives i think were also invaluable i'm looking forward to to putting this up there on the podcast and and letting it just kind of you know find find different people as things do on the internet these days <laughs> Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for such thoughtful questions. Have a great afternoon. Yeah. Have a lovely right. day. Be, be well, everyone. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you so much, y'all.